0: Well, uh, my name is Mike McGarry, and I'm the youth pastor here. Glad to uh, be worshiping with you, my church family, and bringing God's Word uh, for us this morning from Revelation chapter 4. So it's going to be a good look into God's Word. So um, let's pray, and then we'll look at what
1: Revelation 4 has for us this morning. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, would you tune our ears
0: to hear your word this morning? Father, would you clear our minds of all the jumbled thoughts and other concerns that uh, whisper in our
1: imaginations and in our mind, in our hearts? Lord, would you still us Lord, not in a way that we forget about or ignore
0: the worries of our lives, but in a way that leads them before your throne of grace. So that we could hear clearly from you. So that we could behold who you are. So when we give attention to our worries, to our concerns, to our to-do list, to our New Year's resolutions, Lord, so when we look again to these things, we can see them more clearly in perspective with who you are. So, Father, would you lead us, would you guide us, would you preach to us and to me this morning from your word? Let's pray. Amen. Well, one morning, the great Christian reformer, Martin Luther, was having a particularly bad morning. He was complaining and wallowing in hopelessness and just not a whole lot of fun to be around. So eventually his wife, Katie, who had lots of personality, uh, left the room and a few minutes later, walked back in, dressed in all black, ready for a funeral. And Martin kind of looked at her and said, did I miss something? Who died? And she looked at him and said, well, if the great Martin Luther is this depressed, then I can only assume that God has died. And she kind of put him in his place. (laughs) And so he kind of moved on from there. And um, sometimes we can feel that way, can't we? Um, I I don't... um, Just looking around at our congregation this morning um, and imagining uh, our our friends at at home and uh, thinking about my own heart and, and mind... This morning, uh, sometimes it can feel like we're limping into a new year, doesn't it? Uh, it's been a long and tiring two years for, um, for our world, for our country, for our community, for our church. But the good news of the gospel uh, and the good news that I want to proclaim for us, for myself, this morning is that God's sovereignty and his kingship is not on shaky ground. He isn't in danger of being fired or conquered or quarantined. In these ongoing, unprecedented times, um, God's hand remains sovereign and steady. He has not flinched or grown shaky. And so even when we don't understand what's happening and we don't really see how things could be happening the way they are if God was really still in control, this is where faith comes into play. If we knew all the answers to all the questions that we could ask, we wouldn't need faith. We'd just be able to rely on knowledge. And we know people who try to live that way, don't we? Because sometimes (laughs) I am that way, and you are that way. And we forget the role that faith plays in our life. And we walk by faith, especially during unprecedented times. And we walk by faith, especially when things do not make sense and when life is really difficult. Faith is that confidence in saying, I know who God is. I know, in the end, how things will end. I know who wins. I know that God will provide. I know that God is still in control. I don't know a lot of things, but I know those things. Therefore, I will walk by faith in Jesus Christ. That is the Christian faith. And so, as we open up and look into Revelation chapter 4 this morning, um, I want to invite you to uh, flip in your pew Bibles to page uh, 1091, or you can flip in your, your own Bible that you brought with you to Revelation chapter 4. Revelation is the last book of the Bible, and so you can find the scripture we're going to be looking at um, there. But I think it's important for us to remember that as mysterious as the book of Revelation is to us, it was written to give hope and encouragement to Christians in the early days of the church who were literally being fed to lions, who were being lit on fire as living torches to illuminate the emperor's drunken parties. Uh, The Christians were living through a terrible season of persecution. And the book of Revelation was written to these Christians uh, who are being persecuted and wondering, is suffering for Jesus worth it? Is, is this really what it means to be a Christian? Is, is Jesus worth facing the lions uh, in the Colosseum as entertainment for paying customers? Uh, as is being a christian worth feeling like everyone around me is is literally trying to identify who's christian here to turn in to the authorities for arrest and torture and the book of revelation can be really confusing and can be really intimidating sometimes but it's important to recognize that it's a book of apocalyptic literature. Uh, apocalyptic literature is a style of writing that was very, pop, very popular and very common in the first century. Uh, an apocalypse is simply an event that triggers the end of civilization or the entire world. So, if someone had a prophecy or a vision or something about uh, to foretell the end of the world. And they wanted someone, they wanted to publish it and for people to believe it, they would publish it and then say that it was the apocalypse of Peter or the apocalypse of Paul or what, right? They would name it according to someone whose name would give it credibility. Um, And so there were lots of different apocalypses, there were lots of different gospels out there in the first century. This is the biblical apocalypse of John, the disciple and apostle of Jesus Christ, who was given to him on the island of Patmos when he was in house arrest. This is all to give background, to say um, this book is given not to terrify, not to scare, not as some crazy, like, God mystery, but as a book that was written that people in their day and age would have been able to understand certain elements of. It was a common writing style that people were familiar with. And God provided the book of Revelation to give hope and peace and security to Christians who were really afraid and who were really worried. And whose faith was marked by anxiety and uncertainty about, is following Jesus worth it? And so, if you've ever experienced any of those questions, then Revelation 4 is for you. So, without any further ado, Revelation chapter 4. And, and there's, no, there's no PowerPoint today. So... You're going to want your Bible open, right? You're going to want your Bible open. Keep it open in front of you. When we're done reading, don't do this and put it away. Keep your Bible open. And the, out, the sermon outlined this morning, we're literally just going to walk through the different scenes in Revelation 4 and talk about what it means and how this is given to anchor us in hope. So, Revelation 4. After this, I looked, and there in heaven was an open door. The first voice that I heard, speaking to me like a trumpet, said, Come up here, and I will show you what must take place after this. Immediately, I was in the Spirit, and there was a throne in heaven, and someone seated on it. The one seated there had the appearance of jasper and carnelian stone. A rainbow that had the appearance of an emerald surrounded the throne. Around the throne were 24 thrones, and on the thrones sat 24 elders dressed in white clothes with golden crowns on their heads. Flashes of lightning and rumblings and peals of thunder came from the throne. Seven fiery torches were burning before the throne which are the seven spirits of god and something like a sea of glass similar to crystal was also before the throne four living creatures covered with eyes in front and in back were around the throne on each side the first living creature was like a lion the second living creature was like an ox the third living creature had a face like a man, and the fourth living creature was like a flying eagle. Each of the four living creatures had six wings. They were covered with eyes all around and inside. Day and night, they never stopped saying, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord God, the Almighty, who was who is, and who is to come. Whenever the living creatures give glory, honor, and thanks to the one seated on the throne, the one who lives forever and ever, the 24 elders fall down before the one seated on the throne and worship the one who lives forever and ever. They cast their crowns before the throne and say, Our Lord and God. You are worthy to receive glory and honor and power because you have created all things. And by your will, they exist and were created.
1: So, what do we make of this vision? It begins with
0: this open door saying, come in. And when John enters this heavenly portal, he sees the throne of God. And who does he see sitting on it? But Jesus Christ. Of course, it doesn't say literally, and it was Jesus. But every depiction, every way that Jesus is portrayed in the rest of the book of Revelation Every way that Jesus is portrayed and describes himself in multiple places throughout the Gospels is subtly used in some artful ways to say, it's Jesus. Even considering uh, the, the worship that we'll hear again at the end of this passage, the Lord who lives forever, why do you think that would continue to be repeated? except that he had died and come to life again, right? That he is the one who has died and returned to life. Therefore, Christians whose lives are in peril and in danger can trust the one who has tasted and drunk the cup of death and yet who lives forever. That Jesus is sitting in the throne room of God on the throne
1: of God, receiving worship and glory. When we consider what's
0: happened so far in the book of Revelation, Revelation chapters 2 and 3 records these uh, seven letters to the seven churches in the ancient world. Uh, Those letters conclude in Revelation 3, the final verses, Of Revelation chapter 3 right before this that last letter concludes to him who overcomes I will give the right to sit with me on my throne just as I overcome just as I overcame and sat down with my father on his throne he who has an ear let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches immediately after this promise to Christians who endure, who overcome the persecution, who overcome uh, the challenges of their faith, who endure walking with Jesus by faith. We see this vision of Jesus sitting on his father's throne.
1: And we see John being told, come in. And then we read this description of
0: him starting in verse 3 and he who sat there had the appearance of jasper and carnelian and around the throne was a rainbow that had the appearance of an emerald around the throne were 24 thrones and seated on the thrones were 24 elders clothed in white garments with golden crowns on their heads and from the throne came cra- came flashes of lightning and rumblings and peals of thunder and before the throne were seven burning torches of fire, which are the seven spirits of God. And before, before the throne there was, as if it were,
1: a sea of glass like crystal. What an image. How would you paint that? What would that look like? These stones, jasper,
0: carnelian, emeralds, I think we've all heard or maybe read uh, different descriptions of, well, this represents that and that represents this. And um, I'm not so interested in that as much as just the, the recognition that in the first century, these were marks of royalty and power and sovereignty. Right? I mean, you couldn't just go to Kohl's and buy whatever color... Shirt, pants, sneakers, whatever. Like, you you couldn't just go to the store and buy what you wanted. Things would get weathered. Colors would fade. And generally, clothing was earth tones, right? If someone was wearing something bright that that, that symbolized that they had a high measure of status, Uh, they were someone who had money, Uh, They had access to certain dyes to be able to dye their clothing to look radiant and beautiful, to get the attention. And so these stones uh, were another way that you could kind of stand out from the crowd. And so the throne, uh, on the throne, was one whose appearance was marked by these special stones that portrayed his royalty, his kingship, his lordship, his power, his prestige. He is not a normal man. And that throne was surrounded by a rainbow, right, pointing back to the flood. And this symbol. Of God's grace for sinners. Right? That, that the throne of God, the place where judgment flows, the place where all creation will come and receive our judgment, is surrounded by a rainbow as a symbol of God's providing grace, of God's saving grace, of God's rescuing grace through judgment. Like he did for Noah and his family. That this judgment
1: seat is marked by the grace of God, which saves his people by faith. These are vivid depictions of God's kingship and
0: royalty. That the one who is sitting on the throne is worthy to be there. In verse 4, we read about these elders. These 24 elders around, sitting on 24 thrones around the main throne. They're clothed in white garments and with golden crowns on their heads. Traditionally, these have been viewed as representatives of the twelve tribes of Israel and of the twelve apostles. I think this is fair and good. Uh, this also portrays the view that we have in Revelation 21 of the New Jerusalem uh, with the twenty-four pillars, right? That 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 represent it very clearly. States uh, the wall of the new jerusalem being built on the foundation of the 12 tribes of israel and the 12 apostles and so in the same way we have this image portrayed for us of god's plan in the old covenant god's plan in the new covenant coming together not in conflict not because god had to overwrite israel as a failure and replace it with the church but that god's plan from eternity past and spanning into eternity future has always been these 24 representatives these 24 elders of God's plan of salvation coming together
1: in Jesus Christ and what do they do they worship Jesus
0: they worship God the son who is worthy of all worship, of all praise, of
1: all faith. In the midst of this, we see these storms. And we see
0: and hear about these the seven spirits of God and we wonder, what is up with that? I thought there was one God, eternally existent, as Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, not spirits
1: be confusing. Well, there are three of these storms
0: uh, throughout the book of Revelation, each of which take place in the context of God's judgment. Again, God's judgment marked with the rainbow of God's providing and saving grace. Throughout the ancient world, gods and deities in in ancient writing, gods and deities were almost always uh, revealing themselves to people in some sort of storm of thunder and lightning and this and that. And so when when you think about uh, your Bible, you think about even God in the garden, uh, there was the sound of thunder when God was was walking, right, when God was speaking. Uh, On uh, Mount Sinai, there was a giant thunderstorm on the top of Sinai when God was giving the law. Uh, and uh, in, in other places where God reveals himself to people, he does so in a thunderstorm. Except with Elijah. When, God, when Elijah was expecting God to speak through a thunderstorm, God subverted his
1: expectation a speaking in a whisper. And so in the, in the same way that we see
0: this, this display of God's power in the thunderstorm, this is how God is portraying, portraying his, the power of Jesus Christ to Christians who were fearful, saying, if this is what it means to be a Christian, that I have no power I have no defense. I am
1: just a lamb to the slaughter. Is Jesus a loser? Is Jesus weak? And he receives this vision
0: of Jesus in all his power and glory, saying, Look, as as Christians, we follow the way of the cross, we don't defend ourselves. We aren't looking for worldly power and prestige. The power and prestige belongs to Jesus. And he will come and he will return. And his judgment over those who perpetrate evil in this world, his judgment will come. That's why we don't need to be judges of those around us. We can leave the judgment to the Lord as we simply live humble, peaceful lives. And these seven spirits of God doesn't mean that there's more than one Holy Spirit. There's multiple times when these seven spirits, again, appear throughout the book of Revelation. And there's a bunch of really confusing interpretations about what they represent and who they are and all of that and I understand them just enough to say um, this doesn't mean there are multiple Holy, Holy Spirits, um, but when these seven spirits of God show up in the book of Revelation, and they only show up in the book of Revelation, it's always in the context of the Father, Son, Holy Spirit working and active in the lives of his people, of God sending out the Holy Spirit through the ministry and person of Jesus Christ, sending out the spirits of God to do work in the world and in the lives of his people according to their faith and the grace and the power of Jesus Christ. Uh, And so these are not the Holy Spirit. These are the spirits, the angelic messengers of God who he sends to his people. And one of my favorite parts in Revelation 4 is found in verse 6 about the glassy sea. And verse 6 describes it this way. Something like a sea of glass similar to crystal was also
1: before the throne. Something like a sea of glass. See, when when you think about that the world. What is the world mostly made up of? Water. Right? The world's mostly made up of water. And, and
0: before the throne of God, what do we see? Water. When God sent judgment on the world in the days of Noah, how did God send that judgment? Water. When the priests were ministering to the people in the temple and they had to purify themselves before offering the sacrifices, how did they
1: purify themselves? Water. And before the throne of God, the sea. Is crystal clear like glass. Now, remembering in the ancient worlds, glass was never crystal clear.
0: It was murky, you could see through it,
1: but it was very rarely, if ever, clear like crystal. But this glass, this sea, was. God could see everything
0: that was happening in his worlds. God could see everything that was happening in these waters. Time and time again in the book of Revelation and in other apocalyptic literature, the sea was a place of danger. Uh, The sea represented demonic activity uh, even just think about when Jesus walked on water and the apostles were in the boat and they saw a figure walking on the water. What did they think at first? It's a ghost. It's a spirit. And Jesus said, Do not be afraid. It is I. And when they thought the waves and the winds were going to crash over them and destroy them and kill them, he spoke and said, be still. And the storm on the sea,
1: and how did the apostles respond? And they fell down and they worshiped.
0: Because it wasn't just about the waters. It was about everything that the waters and the sea represented to the ancient people. This is also why when Jesus cast out the demon named Legion and sent Legion, the demon, into the pigs, where did the pigs run? Down the hill into the sea. That's a strange thing for pigs to do who are possessed by a demon. They didn't go and drown
1: themselves. The demon was going home. Even today... What's the most deadly profession? Fishermen.
0: The sea is a dangerous place. And before the
1: Lord, the sea is crystal clear. There is no threat to God's sovereignty or to God's goodness or to God's
0: power. God's kingdom is not under attack when we walk and limp and worry about what's coming in the future, we have this vision of Jesus sitting in the throne room of God before a sea that is clear as glass, clear as crystal.
1: And that is where he executes his judgment surrounded by the rainbow of his grace. And then we hear the four living creatures and their song.
0: These creatures are strange and unusual and really confusing to us. Uh, This isn't the only place where they show up. We've seen and met these four living creatures, these seraphim in Isaiah and in Ezekiel. And one of the questions that we face here is about whether or not these creatures actually exist or if they're merely symbolic and what they mean. Um, I personally am convinced that they are real, actual creatures in glory who worship and minister before the throne, uh, but the human um, men who have received these visions just don't understand. We don't. Uh, we don't know. How do we describe something of that glory? We, we just. I just don't know how else to describe them. So that's why there's some differences in the ways that these creatures are described. Um, do they have Four faces each with a different animal, creature on each face. Are they each different? How many wings do they have? What's their position before the throne? (sighs) Some people get really into all these differences. And I want to say um, that they, they represent the lion as the wild beasts. The ox as the wild, uh, the, the, the beasts of burden, right, of agriculture, of power, who have been domesticated. Um, the eagle as the great soaring beasts. And men, who can sometimes be beastly too. But that all of us, all creation, worships God before his throne.
1: That God rules over all of it. And we will all bend
0: the knee before Jesus and declare, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty who was and is and is to come. That is the message. That is the point. And so these elders, when they come before Jesus, what do they do? They fall down in worship, they lay their crowns before the king, and they proclaim God's worthiness
1: to receive honor and glory. Verses 9 through 11, it's a wonderful and beautiful picture, isn't it? Worthy are you, our Lord and God, to receive glory
0: and honor and power, for you created all things,
1: and by your will they existed and they were created. Again, we see this
0: emphasis on the living God, on his authority on his worthiness to be worshipped. He is the reason for our hope. The reason for our hope has nothing to do with us and everything to do with who God
1: is. Hope that's rooted in this life is very shaky hope. I think
0: that we can see evidences of that all around us lately. If you're tempted to put your hope in anyone or anything but God to give you satisfaction and peace and meaning in the deep and rich and lasting way in your life, it's not going to work out the the way you think it will. Your greatest hope for 2022 is not in any New Year's resolutions, but in a clearer picture of who God is. Remember, this vision from God is given to the early Christians who are being persecuted in order to give them hope. When he is ministering, when God is ministering to his people who are fearful and afraid, who the... Political authorities are literally feeding them to wild beasts while paying customers are watching. This happened. God doesn't minister and give hope to his people by promising them political authority, by looking for the good old days when they were the ones in power, Historically speaking, whenever Christianity becomes the dominant religion, the health of the church, theologically, actually declines because Christianity is supposed to cost you something. Is our treasure in our power and in our prominence and in our comfort, or is our confidence in the one who is seated on the throne? regardless of what that costs us to be faithful today. And when being a Christian costs you nothing, then you can easily find yourself comfortably following Jesus on your own terms instead of really giving careful attention to following Jesus on his own terms. The early Christians' hope wasn't that God would give them the military strength to fight back and to conquer their enemies and to protect themselves. The Crusades are a classic example of what happens when the church tries to do that. And their hope wasn't in freedom to live a double life. It would have been much easier if the Christians were allowed to just say, Caesar is Lord, in public but then to live among themselves whispering jesus is lord they didn't have that option either that we are called to live and to say boldly jesus christ is lord he is my savior
1: he is my confidence jesus is my power come what may I think many of us are limping
0: into 2022. It's been an exhausting
1: season. Maybe it's just me. I don't think it is. Some
0: people talk about New Year's like it's an automatic fresh start. Uh, but so far, so far, it's only January 2nd. But I feel mostly the same as I did two days ago. Don't know about you. But it is a fresh opportunity to recenter ourselves, to evaluate, to anticipate. There's nothing magical about the dates. But it is an opportunity to say, I'm going to reset my eyes on the holiness of God. That Jesus is my hope the holiness of Jesus is my confidence the faithfulness of God and the ministry of the Holy Spirit is my confidence
1: this year what would that New Year's resolution look like so the good news that I have for each of us is this Your hope for a better
0: year is not in your hands. It's anchored around the throne of God,
1: which has not wavered, which has not shifted, which doesn't wobble. Jesus
0: sits before a sea that's crystal clear. So if you're a Christian, that should give you incredible comfort. That even in the midst of everything else you might endure or struggle with this year, you can know with absolute certainty that God sees you and that by enduring in
1: faith, Jesus is faithful. And following Jesus is always worth it. if you're not
0: a Christian then this is an opportunity for you to consider the hope that you can secure for yourself in comparison with finding your hope in the nature of the eternal God who created everything, sustains everything, and will judge everything. Which hope do you choose to pursue? This is a day for you to get right with God to take off your crown, to lay all your treasure and glory before the cross of Jesus Christ, to confess that Jesus' sinless life, death, resurrection, and eventual return, that he is your only and greatest hope. So again, I don't know all the details about what everyone here is going through today, but chances are that the sea is murky for each of us in some way. Before God, the sea is crystal clear. God is the sovereign king over all creation, and he isn't up for re-election. He has no challengers, regardless of how things may appear. God doesn't always deliver comfort and ease. In fact, he often delivers challenges in order to keep us from placing our hope in the things of this world. Because no matter what you're living through right now, it's better to endure immense sufferings in this life and afterwards receive the crown of heaven than to have comfort and ease in this life and then need to face the judge without Jesus as your advocate.
1: And so my closing message is this. So long
0: as God is reigning from His throne room, we have every reason for hope.
1: Amen. Amen. Let's pray. Our great God, you are holy.
0: You' the one who was and is and is to come. You are worthy to receive honor and glory, and power, because you have created everything. And by your will, they exist and were created. And so, Father, would you help us to join with the voices around your throne in declaring your holiness, in declaring your goodness and your faithfulness. Lord, may we proclaim with our mouths,
1: with our hearts, with our hands, with our lives, that you are the hope. You are our only hope. So help us to gain a bigger, clearer vision
0: of who you are this year. And when we're tempted to place our hope and different habits and better habits and more accomplishments and more friends and more weight loss and more whatever else we might hope for this year. Lord, help us to remember that truly our only great hope in this life is found in your throne. And so may you be the anchor of everything we are of everything we do, of everything we love and trust and build on in 2022.
1: We pray this by faith. Amen.